going on. Are we at war with China yet? Has that happened? It's starting? Would we know? Welcome to the program, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110. That's the phone number. Here's another one, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. So uh, Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker Pelosi, has landed in Taiwan, and outrage ensues. So um, I did not... I did not do a lot of prep on this because I wasn't sure it was actually going to happen. But now it has happened. I have a statement here from the commies, the Chinese government, and um, and a statement here from a whole bunch of U.S. senators, appear to be all Republicans, including both of North Carolina's, uh, that say they support Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. For decades, members of the United States Congress, including previous speakers of the House, have traveled to Taiwan. This travel is consistent with the United States' One China policy, to which we are committed. We are also committed, now more than ever, to all elements of the Taiwan Relations Act. I must admit, I don't know what the Taiwan Relations Act is, the Taiwan Relations Act. Yes, I I don't know. I was in the process of searching for it when my intro started. So, (laughs) but I I do know what the one China policy is, right? That's this idea that there's one China, as the name might indicate. So, um, back in the, was 79 or so? Anyway, the U.S., yeah, 1979, the United States, uh, I remember this. I was six. It was all the talk of the dinner table. It was when the United States moved to recognize the People's Republic of China and de-recognize the Republic of China, or the ROC. The United States stated that the government of the People's Republic of China was the sole legal government of China. Right? One China. But the U.S. did not give in to Chinese demands that it recognize Chinese sovereignty over Taiwan. In fact, they don't even like calling it Taiwan. The Chinese don't like it when we say Taiwan. They don't like it when it appears in our Top Gun movies as a little uh, patch on a, on a leather jacket either. They, they really, really don't like any mention of Taiwan because to them, it's just China. Washington acknowledged the Chinese position. Like, we, we hear you, China. We're listening. You're heard. We're not going to say that it's all yours. We're not going to recognize that. We will acknowledge your position. We know that's what you're saying. For geopolitical reasons, both the U.S. and the People's Republic of China, uh, they were willing to go forward with diplomatic recognition despite differences on the Taiwan question. China attempted to change the Chinese text from the original acknowledge to recognize. Deputy Secretary of State Warren Christopher told a Senate hearing, quote, we regard the English text as being the binding text. We regard the word acknowledge as being the word that is determinative for the U.S. All right. And then in 1982, U.S. Uh, US China communique 
the United States went one step further, stating that it had no intention of pursuing a policy of two Chinas or one China, one Taiwan. So the U.S. is on the record as stating we are not going to pursue a policy to that end. And to this day, that's the policy in place. All right. So what China is saying now, and and I take them at their word for it, these U.S. senators who said, look, you know, members of Congress has been going to Taiwan in the past. This is not that big a deal. So why is China making it a big deal? They put out uh, a statement. This came from China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And it's a pretty lengthy statement, um, but it might be important. I haven't even read through the whole thing. Um, They say it's in disregard of China's strong opposition and serious representations. This is a serious violation of the one China principle and the provisions of the three China-U.S. joint communiques. It has a severe impact on the political foundation of China-U.S. relations. And seriously, they're really big on this word serious. It's like four times they've used it in like two sentences. It seriously infringes upon China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. It gravely undermines peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and sends a seriously wrong signal to the separatist forces of Taiwan for Taiwan independence. China firmly opposes and sternly condemns this and has made serious and strong protests to the U.S. There is but one China in the world. Taiwan is an inalienable part of China's territory, and the government of the PRC is the sole legal government representing the the whole of China. This has been clearly recognized by the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 2758-1971, Since the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949, 181 countries have established diplomatic relations with China on the basis of the One China Principle. The One China Principle is a universal consensus of the international community and a basic norm in international relations. Okay, so does her visit there indicate the end of the One China policy? But here it is again. They are rewriting the text. The United, here's what they say. In 1979, the U.S. made a clear commitment in the China-U.S. joint communique on the establishment of diplomatic relations. Quote, the United States of America recognizes the government of the People's Republic of China as the sole legal government of China. Within this context, the people of the United States will maintain cultural, commercial, and other unofficial relations with the people of Taiwan. See, there's that word, recognizes. Versus acknowledges, right? Now, the U.S. says it's acknowledged. Like, this is what we're fighting over, acknowledges versus, like, do you think Taiwan is part of China or not? Our policy has been, like, we're going to say one China, but we're not really going to, like, we're not, we really don't want to say anything more. This is diplomacy. China is all along opposed to the visit to Taiwan by U.S. congressional members and the U.S. executive branch has the responsibility to stop such a visit. Since Speaker Pelosi is the incumbent leader of the U.S. Congress, her visit to and activities in Taiwan in whatever form and for whatever reason is a major political provocation to upgrade U.S. official exchanges with Taiwan. China absolutely does not accept this, and the Chinese people absolutely reject this. Now, I don't know what the the play here is for Pelosi. 
I, I don't. Um, I know she went to Tiananmen Square and unfurled some banner in protest after the massacre that China, you know, uh, uh, engaged in of its own citizens when when they had their pro democracy uprising uh, back in what ninety two. 91, 92, and um, maybe there's a strong contingent in her home district that this is, a, this is a winning issue. Much like, you know, in Florida, you have the Cuban population, and so you want to take an anti-commie stand because it plays well among the demographic that is anti-commie, right? Uh, and maybe that's what's going on here. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the NVIDIA deal, right? The, the, the deal that her husband, like, cut for the the chips or whatever it was. Yeah, may, may, I don't know. Maybe she's going on site visit or something. I don't know. They do a lot of manufacturing of those things over there. It kind of, that could be it. All righty, so the senators, the Republican senators who signed on to this statement in support of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. I'll read you their names. Uh, U.S. Senators Dan Sullivan, Alaska. Mitch McConnell, John Thune, Jim Inhofe, Jim Risch. Roy Blunt, John Cornyn, John Barrasso, Kevin Kramer, Ben Sass, Marsha Blackburn, Tom Tillis, Tommy Tuberville. Tuberville? I should know how to pronounce that. He was a coach. Do you know that? He was a coach? Yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> Steve Daines, uh, father of Claire, I believe. No, I'm kidding. Susan Collins, Dob, Deb Fisher, Todd Young. Sorry, it's very small t- uh, text. Joni Ernst, Rob Portman, Shelley Moore Capito, Mike Crapo. I think he prefers Crapo. Uh, Richard Burr, John Boozman. Tim Scott, Chuck Grassley, and Pat Toomey. All rhinos! (laughs) Look, I don't have to agree with Nancy Pelosi on anything. I don't. But I can also like the fact that she's landing in Taiwan. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, China. Are you upset that we've done something that, uh, that you don't like? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, uh... can we talk about uh, that lab in Wuhan? How about that? How about we start there? Oh, maybe the Confucius centers that you guys have been opening up around all of the... Well, how about, what was it, the story we did the other day that they had infiltrated the Federal Reserve Banks, right? They had started planting people in the Federal Reserve Banks. You want to talk about Oh, please. Like, you guys are communists. You lie. That's kind of That's kind of the commie jam. It really is. That's their jam. They lie about everything. I'm not saying we don't lie either. I'm just saying communists lie, like all the time, all the time. Here's the rest of their statement from their foreign, was this foreign affairs minister or something? Yeah, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The position of the Chinese government and people on the Taiwan question has been consistent. It is the firm commitment of the more than 1.4 billion Chinese people to resolutely safeguard... I love how they can speak for every single person in China. But there's no dissenting opinion about Taiwan in China? Not, not a single one of your 1.4 billion people disagree with you? 
I actually do kind of believe that because they would know. China would know. They, they're very, it's a very totalitarian type of place. You know, they'll withhold your food stamps, your, your ration cards, and they'll send you to work in some far off place if your social credit score is not good enough. So uh, they probably do know if you would disagree with their stance on Taiwan. They go on to say the will of the people is not to be defied and the trend of the times cannot be reversed. No country, no forces, and no individual should ever misestimate the firm resolve, strong will, and great capability of the Chinese government and people to defend state sovereignty and territorial integrity and to achieve national reunification and rejuvenation. China will definitely take all necessary measures to resolutely safeguard its sovereignty and territorial integrity in response to the U.S. Speaker's visit All the consequences arising therefrom must be borne by the U.S. side and the Taiwan independence separatist forces. Okay, so has she now poked the dragon? Has she poked the dragon? Because they're writing some checks here, right? Are they going to be able to cash them? Sounds like they're saying as soon as Pelosi clears that. Now, remember, at first, somebody went on to Twitter from the Chinese government and uh, they said they were going to shoot her plane down. But again, commies lie, and so she landed. They did not shoot her down. China and the U.S. are two major countries. The right way for them to deal with each other lies only in mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, no confrontation, and win-win cooperation. Yeah, again, commies lie. This is not how they're engaging with us right now. We should not believe them when they say this is the only way that they engage with us because we know that it's not true. Brittany Raymer over at Carolina Journal wrote a piece, Why Nancy Pelosi's Trip to Taiwan Matters. Given that the island nation is usually considered small, it's a small country, right? That's what that's the standard. I think Obama laid out. It's a tiny country. Remember that? Uh, anyway, um, probably a lot of people scratching their heads about why China is threatening war over the visit. Almost, but again, commies lie, so not really sure. Uh, yes, from car phones to iPhones, computers, and so much more, the U.S. essentially runs on semiconductors, and that is. A Taiwan export. They're the world's biggest developer of semiconductors. Whoever controls Taiwan could have considerable influence over the rest of the world. Given that Taiwan operates mostly as an independent nation with its own government and military, it should be able to mostly create and manage its own domestic and foreign policy, but it's not that simple, right? Taiwan is still technically called the Republic of China, the ROC, as I went over earlier. Not to be confused with the PRC, the People's Republic of China. By the way, this is one of those things about communism, leftism. It's like this injection of the word of the word people or peoples into everything. It's like gaslighting marketing, you know, this branding effort. It's not just the military. It's the People's Liberation Army. Mm-hmm. Because they're doing a lot of liberating, are they? Is that what's happening in China? A lot of liberation occurring? 
1949, about 1.2 million people from China relocated to Taiwan during a civil war. Needless to say, the commies under Mao took control of the mainland, but the island nation remained independent. The problem is China wants Taiwan back. This is the one China policy. The world has remained in a rather strange detente ever since. The West placates China by not officially recognizing Taiwan while simultaneously arming it and helping it maintain its status as the world's 22nd largest economy. Now, if China were to absorb Taiwan like it did with Hong Kong, that is understood or predicted at least to be pretty devastating for all advanced economies that rely on semiconductors. Which you would think at some point, I don't know, maybe we could manufacture a bunch of them here or something. I Like almost, I mean, almost like this idea uh, that there are certain things that we should be developing in country so it's like it satisfies our needs so we're not dependent on other countries. We could call it, I don't know, trying to think of some sort of a, a theme or a heading for for what kind of a policy that might be. So like instead of, you know, instead of like looking at America as last in the supply chain or second or third in a supply chain of the semiconductors, it would be like America first in the supply chain. We would think, We would be thinking about like American interests first. Maybe that's what we should call it. American interests. American interest first or something. I don't know. I'm still working on the branding. So this is one of those things like people who had their brains broken by Donald Trump. Pro and con, by the way. But in this case, it's, there's a lot of like uh, a lot of quote unquote conservatives, a lot of Republicans who uh, became you know never Trumpers and just virulent anti-Trump on everything, and they, they see the world through the prism of Donald Trump. This is actually one of the things that he that he's right on, and you should be able to see that and say that and to join in common cause when you have a, when you have a common purpose. This is why I, I always come back to this. It's about goals and objectives. What is your objective? Is the objective to... Make sure that America is not going to be beholden to the, you know, the Chinese government, the communist Chinese regime, that we're not going to be beholden to them, that we're not going to be dragged into a war over Taiwan. Why don't we develop some of that stuff here? That, I mean, to me, that makes sense. The America first. Oh, how about that? I'll call it America first. Hmm. I like it. As Speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi is the highest level U.S. official to visit the country since Newt Gingrich 25 years ago. uh, And the visit sparked immense backlash from Beijing. Um, And the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson reiterated uh, threats that were made before her arrival, saying there will be serious consequences if she insists on making the visit. Serious. They said, quote, we are fully prepared for any eventuality. The People's Liberation Army will never sit by idly. China will take strong and resolute measures to safeguard its sovereignty and territorial integrity. All right, so uh, there is your update on the uh, the beginnings of uh, World War III. And um, 
Well, I guess this might be World War Four. World War Three might have been the, um, um, the the global war on terror, or as I like to call it, the GWAT. Right. I, I mean, that could have been. It's it's still ongoing, right? Joe Biden just whacked Al Qaeda's number one, which is actually a safer gig than than Al Qaeda's number two. You ever notice that? Yeah, ISIS, Al Qaeda, like all these terrorist organizations. Uh, what was the, the Al Baghdadi? Remember that guy in uh, in Iraq with the the militia, the Shia militia guy. Um, the number twos they get whacked a lot. It's like the most dangerous position, which I think is because the number ones are in hiding and then they send the number twos out and then the number twos, they get spotted and they get droned. I think that's how that happens. So uh, Joe Biden learning a lot from his mentor, Barack Obama, taught him well, right? Remember, Obama uh, flew the chopper into the what into Pakistan and uh, hovered above and then put the knife between his teeth and slid down the rope and. Uh, you know, killed all of like the two or three hundred guards that were surrounding Osama bin Laden and like killed him with his bare hands and like took his corpse back up to the helicopter, then flew him out to sea, gave him the proper Muslim burial, peace be upon him, and then uh, announced it to the world that Obama did that. Remember? So I'm assuming Biden acted pretty similarly, right? Probably put on his aviator sunglasses donned the leather jacket, maybe put on his denim jeans, the ones with the crease right down the front of the legs there, you know? And then he uh, doddered over to the drone department of the DOD and fired that Hellfire missile right onto the balcony of a contributing author at the New York Times. Uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, he was a contributor. The guy who owned the apartment that was in is in Kabul that... Al-Qaeda's leader was staying at, hanging out on the balcony for months, just chilling out on the balcony. I don't know what he was doing out there. You know, getting some air. And, uh, yeah, that, the, the person that, uh, that owned that apartment was a guy who was a contributor to the New York Times, which the New York Times apparently scrubbed from its story a couple hours later the name of the guy who owned the apartment in Kabul. In Kabul. Why does that name sound familiar? Kabul. Is there something recently that happened in Kabul, Afghanistan? I feel like we were just there. Weren't we there? Feels pretty recent. Feel like there. I don't know. Oh, and by the way, the guy whose apartment, it was Taliban. Senior, uh, he's a top aide to senior Taliban leader Sirajuddin Haqqani. There you go. According to a senior intelligence official. So the Taliban harboring an Al-Qaeda leader. You don't say. Inter- oh, wait a minute. Is this Trump's fault again? Is this like the border wall that he was building and then Biden came in, canceled, and then said, oh, there are gaps in the wall, so we got to clean up the mess that Trump left and build the rest of the wall? Is this the same kind of thing where Trump was like, hey, we should get out of Afghanistan, and then Biden comes in and he's like, yeah, pull us all out and leave all of the equipment and everything, and then the Taliban takes back over, and now Al-Qaeda's set up roost again? Is, is that... I just need to know, how do I blame Trump for this, for the Taliban sheltering al-Qaeda leadership once again in Afghanistan? What could go wrong? Got a message from Jeff. 
He sent it via Twitter at Pete Callender. That's Callender with a K. Because Nancy Pelosi had to go get more insider trading information for her husband, hence the Taiwan visit. That's <laughs> that's possible. I don't know. I I am not. I am not privy to Pelosi's motivations. Why she decided to go to Taiwan, I do not know. Maybe there's a, yeah. Maybe there's a line on. Maybe this is part of the deal. He got the info and they were like, you got to have your wife come visit. I don't know. I mean, as long as I'm just making up stuff. So um, President Joe Biden announced yesterday that Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Kabul, an operation he said delivered justice and hopefully one more measure of closure to families of the victims of September 11, 2001, the attacks on the U.S. The president said, in an evening address from the White House that U.S. intelligence officials tracked al-Zawahiri to a home in downtown Kabul where he was hiding out with his family. The president approved the operation last week, and it was carried out on Sunday. We don't know if anybody else was killed in the attack. Right now everybody's saying no, but the last time they said that, it turned out a whole bunch of people were killed in the attack, a lot of them like kids. So the president... Uh, said the attack oh, was carried out Sunday. Al-Zawahiri and the better-known Osama bin Laden plotted the 9-11 attacks that brought many ordinary Americans their first knowledge of al-Qaeda. Bin Laden was killed in Pakistan on May 2nd, 2011, in an operation carried out by U.S. Navy SEALs after a nearly decade-long hunt. As for al-Zawahiri, Biden said, quote, he will never, ever, sorry, he will never again, never again, allow Afghanistan to become a terrorist safe haven because he is gone and we're going to make sure that nothing else happens. And then we realized Joe Biden was saying it, and so that's probably not going to happen. He said, this terrorist leader is no more. The operation is a significant counterterrorism win for the Biden administration just 11 months after American troops left the country after a two-decade war. So, all right. I am satisfied with the action. I don't want to say I'm happy with it because it's, I mean, you, you know, you shot, you destroyed a person like that's, but I understand like that was, that's justice for what that guy did. I get all of that. But I do wonder just on a political level, I think there are a lot of people that may have forgotten about Afghanistan. It's been 11 months, but having, You know, high inflation, gas prices, economic problems, you know, all of these issues that we're dealing with now. You got China and all this. China. We have all of this going on. I just wonder, is it possible that whereas like I think a lot of people in the administration, the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, I think a lot of them are kind of framing this as, look, this is a win for Biden. This is a good thing for Biden. And look, I I agree. This is a good thing for Biden. Politically speaking, it's a good thing. Um, and sometimes the right policy, right, is good politics. But I also wonder if this kind of refreshes people's memory about Afghanistan and how all of that went down. And now the fact that this guy gets whacked hanging out on the balcony in downtown Kabul in a safe house owned by the Taliban. 
Like, how is this, how is this better? 20 years, a trillion dollars, right? Thousands of Americans casualties. And he ends up back in downtown Kabul at a Taliban safe house. That's, that's what we left. That's, and, and, and how we left it. I just think, uh, I think there may be some people that are reminded of the situation that may not have otherwise remembered. A senior administration official who briefed reporters said zero U.S. personnel were in Kabul. Over the 20-year war in Afghanistan, the U.S. targeted and splintered al-Qaeda, sending leaders into hiding. But America's exit from Afghanistan last September gave the extremist group the opportunity to rebuild. Which is impossible. I was told... That couldn't happen. We have over-the-horizon technology, which is what this was. So we're just going to start drone-striking people? I don't know. I don't... But then again, I think Americans kind of want that. They they don't want to send any troops over, so if we could just kind of fight it from the drones, that, that might be the preferred course. <laughs>